This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. right (laughs) yeah that's it that's it that's (laughs) That's the the movie it's so iconic this movie actually does have a little song at the end you know what was so funny was I have definitely seen this movie before but I realized that I have seen Adam's family values yes way more yes. times Same. than I'd seen this one. <laughs> Adam's Family Values is a great movie also. I-, I think the original Adam's Family is great, but the sequel's equally great. You know, if uh, I could go back and maybe I know redo our Gremlins 2 episode, I think I might have argued that Adam's Family Values was better than Adam's Family. And they're both good movies, yeah. but... When I think of Adam's Family, I I realized that I was very frequently thinking of Adam's Family Values. Same. So I was really excited to watch this again because I couldn't remember what happened, what the plot was. I did not remember how many jokes there were in this movie. It was fun. I really enjoyed rewatching it. It's so fun. It's so fun. I love the characters. I love the writing. The casting is absolute perfection I like cannot like give enough kudos to the casting agent for this movie because it's just incredible it's such a fun take on a franchise that's been around for a really long time since the 30s we should get a really quick summary because I really want to talk about this one so the Adams family is about a bizarre very wealthy family who reconnect with who they think is their long-lost relative their brother slash brother-in-law fester adams who has been missing for 25 years he is actually the adopted son of a loan shark that the adams family lawyer owes money to and there is this big scheme that they have to try and swindle the Adams family out of their family uh, fortune. And as the movie progresses, there's a lot of suspicion. Like, is this Fester guy actually our uncle? Is he not? And it's really just a lot of gags. Like, lots and lots and lots of jokes. Lots of little scenes of just this family being spooky and unusual and weird. Kate, were you an Adams Family girl or a Munsters Family girl? I I will admit that of the original, they're both in the '60s, right? They both came out within a week of each other in 1964. Oh, wow. I have never seen an episode of either of the '60s okay. TV shows. Okay, so. I'm going to confidently say neither. All right. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> um, I'll be honest. I actually watch the Munsters on TV more than the Adams Family. The Munsters, I thought, was a lot funnier. I really liked how the Munsters had a niece who was normal. 
she was like a normal person, but to them, she was like the black sheep. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But Adam's family, I watched the the movies. That was like my tie to the Adam's family. Monsters, yeah. And Adam's family, they both came out around the same time. They both had two seasons. And they were both based off of like a cartoon type of origin in the late 30s, early 40s. Really weird. What is up with this like World War II era monster family comics? Right? And around, yeah. I, we also had so weird. Bewitched came out that same, I want to say the same year, at least, you know, same era, same time period. I Dream a Genie. Yeah, a lot of weird TV happening in the 60s. Yeah, I find it very interesting that you get these two very, very totally similar shows coming around at the same time based on cartoons that came out around the same time. I think that the Addams Family won the culture war, honestly, though, because of these movies. Like, I think that the one-two punch of the Addams Family trilogy that came out in the 90s, plus the animated TV show that came out right after the first one, just for like people my age at least like if you didn't have a family that watched the 60s monsters show you would only know of the adams family right and we're still getting adams family remakes today now they've made an uh, animated version of it as well which did really well yeah yeah i never see the monsters come up topic wise no yeah i think that people like when they think of the Adams family, they probably think of the movies that came out in the nineties because it's just so like irreverent and like gothic and spooky, but very, very funny. And again, really great actors. Angelica Houston is iconic as Morticia Adams. She looks amazing. I cannot ever get over Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams. She is like a dream. I want to be her. I want to be with her. I'm just like, I want your presence around me at all times. I love her so much. Yeah, she's great. (laughs) She thought that the role was going to go to Cher, actually. This is another potential Cher in a horror movie that we've covered Yes, the first one being a few seasons ago, if you remember, in Interview with the Vampire. Oh my <laughs> Cher gosh. was possibly going to be in that movie. Too funny. This franchise with the Addams Family, I know that through the 90s, I watched these movies, especially the second one. I watched the animated show, though, um, a lot as well. Did you watch the no, animated show? No, I actually didn't. What channel was it on? Do you know? Do you remember? I don't remember what channel it was on, but I remember that a lot of the episodes really focused on the kids. It was very Wednesday and Pugsley oriented, naturally, of course, for um, an animated cartoon. Yeah, they're great. Oh, Christina Ricci is such a good Wednesday. I fucking love her in this movie. I can't get over how good she is as a child actress she's very young in this movie yeah she's so cute she's like tiny thora birch in hocus pocus yeah she's really cute and just nails it she's so good like she's so serious so dark and i was watching a little interview with her at the time and she's just this little baby sitting in a like a 
actor's chair and talking about things she did to get ready for her role as Wednesday. And it was really sweet to watch. And yeah, she's seems like the type of girl who's always taking her jobs seriously. We've also got Christopher Lloyd in this movie too as Uncle Fester. I was trying to think of like other movies that he was in through the 90s and I really couldn't think of a lot. I think of him as like an 80s early 90s. Yeah, I mean, the Back to the Future franchise was still going on. And then Raul Julia. Poor Raul. Yeah, we lost him too soon. He was this really great Puerto Rican actor uh, who did a lot of theater. He was a really well-respected actor. Um, And he died shortly after the sequel to this. It's so sad, and I didn't realize that because I don't think I've actually seen the Addams Family reunion. Or if I did, it was when I was a kid and did not stick in my memory oh he wasn't in that one oh okay. he was in adam's family values and died after shortly after that he died in 94 i see yeah i see so right oh, i so young. yeah i never watched the reunion either because you know it was a totally different cast it was like same deal with home alone once kevin McAllister and the wet bandits were no longer part of the the story I was like I'm not interested in these straight to DVD (laughs) sequels it's kind of like what they did here so I didn't watch Adam's Family Reunion either it just loses its momentum especially when you have characters with just such great chemistry who plays Pugsley he was actually a accidental find for this movie uh Jimmy Workman played Pugsley okay He went to an audition with his sister. She was auditioning for some other movie and just sort of got directed down the hall to this, you know, (laughs) this audition room uh, because he seemed to fit the bill and he got the role. Serendipitous. Very serendipitous. It was the first movie he was ever in and he wasn't in a lot of movies. He was in six movies total. Um, His last one being in 2004. He did various TV through the 90s and otherwise he yeah doesn't look like he's really in film anymore this movie had a lot of production issues I heard that yeah a lot of people got sick weird like I don't think that you often hear I mean pre-covid like you didn't often hear about production being halted for illnesses Mm -hmm. or things like that but this one had three separate health incidents that caused production to be halted oh my gosh yeah the first one was um raul julia burst a vessel in his eye oh gross i know that's really funny because you would have to stop production because you can't really cover that up so they tried to as long as possible film scenes that didn't have him in it so they could at least like keep moving forward Mm -hmm. but then they got to a point where they're like and now we have to wait (laughs) One of the cinematographers got sick, and they didn't specify what with, but he had to be rushed to the hospital. Oh, no. They stopped production until the director of this movie, who was doing his first directing role, Barry Sonnenfeld, decided to step in as a cinematographer, and he was doing directing work and cinematography at the same time until they could get a backup in. Oh, my gosh. What a mess. I know. And then the last one was a personal one for the director. His wife got sick with something. And so then they had to stop production so he could take care of his wife. And wasn't Tim Burton originally supposed to do this movie? Because it feels very Tim Burton-y. 
oh, if you had told me that this first one was a Tim Burton movie, like either like produced or written or directed, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, naturally, like this is a Tim Burton movie. He was attached, but then he dropped out to film the sequel to Batman. He did Batman Returns instead. Great film. Great choice. Can't say I blame him. I know, right? It's one of those things where you're like, no, that makes sense. I'll allow it. Sonnenfeld was uh, the director of photography when Tim Burton was originally planned on being the director. And when he dropped out, the studio offered to him to take on the directing role. And he had never directed before, and he took it on. And I just like love when people in the biz are candid (laughs) about their experiences. He was like, it was very stressful. (laughs) Is this the only thing he's ever directed or did he learn to love it? Yes. He actually went on to direct a lot of movies after this. He's been very active in the industry. He directed Get Shorty, Men in Black, Wild Wild West, Men in Black 2, Men in Black 3. He's been an executive producer on a bunch of stuff and a producer. And really, he did a lot of work in cinematography and and, uh, photography prior to directing. But it seems like this movie really broke him in as a director. And then he's had a pretty pretty good career directing since then. I haven't checked out the sequels to Men in Black. I need to do that. I think they're pretty good. I mean... I have never gone back to rewatch them. I think I watched them when they came out, but they're the same kind of irreverent humor that we've got in the Adams family, right? Where it's very much character driven more so than plot driven. Like you just want to see these characters and how they respond to situations more so than you want to see the mechanics of the situations play out it's very true the plot in this movie is very thin and very secondary to the gags and the character building that you see alongside it yeah the main driver of this plot is where is Vester? right where is this long lost missing brother and this is gomez's brother and he's very like tied up around this grief over having a falling out with his brother and then his brother going missing for like the subsequent 25 years. Yeah. Gomez apparently owes money to some scam artist. Right. And he has uh, like a family lawyer cousin. (laughs) So he, they have the family lawyer and the lawyer owes money. The Adams family lawyer owes money to a con artist, and it's kind of a sticky situation for this lawyer, but he knows all about Gomez's pirate booty, and he's trying to get his hands on it to pay back his debts. This loan shark that he's dealing with has a son who looks just like Fester, and he decides this is how he's going to get money in order to pay off the loan shark. Yeah, it's very like, how are we going to bring in all of these like disparate characters together? Because you've got this kind of like slimy lawyer (laughs) who keeps losing all of his clients. And for some reason, the Adams family just keeps hiring him (laughs) to manage their estate. And it's very lucky that Fester, who is... Gordon Craven, right? Gordon. Gordon, yeah. Gordon, um, as Fester, 
happens to look like Fester with these like massive like black <laughs> yeah. circles around his eyes and his bald white head. <laughs> it is funny because the macabre day-to-day of the Adams family posits that whenever something bad happens, it's actually a good thing. Uh, yes. It's, it's a running joke in this movie. The fact that this lawyer is shady would only entice them to keep him more. It's like they're living in like a perpetual opposite day. That's a good way to put it. I like when they're at dinner and Wednesday, I think she asks for something to pass something and Morticia's like, what do we say? And she goes, now. (laughs) Okay, so we're also teaching our kids to be rude. It's so funny too because like Morticia is like, this kind of soft, sensual character. Like, she's not rude. No. (laughs) The mother relationship that she's got with her kids, though, is very, like, it's very, like, tender, but also, like, you're not using a big enough knife, darling. She encourages the danger. They all do. It's it's all part of their shtick. We also get a weird German psychiatrist trope with this charade that's happening. Yeah, Craven's mom decides that she's going to tag along with this whole charade, um, which seemed very unnecessary to me. I I, I thought that I was like, well, this is just kind of complicating things. Although Gordon is like kind of an idiot. And so (laughs) she does need to be there to make sure she's smoothing over any like potential bumps like as he's being introduced to the family. Is she familiar with the family? It doesn't seem like she is. No, like she's not related to these guys in any way because it's it's only through this lawyer that that she even knows that they have money. And she's like kind of cutting out the middleman here where she's like, I'm not going to wait for this lawyer to get all of their money. I am just going to insert Gordon as Fester into this, and then he'll just get the estate and the money and all of that. How much does Tully owe her? We talking thousands, millions? I mean, it seems like they're the kind of people that will take whatever they can get. Sure. I kind of wish he could just reach his hand into the doubloon pile and just give her like a handful and nobody would know. They would never know. I mean, when Gomez and Gordon go down into their like lounge, whatever, to have those drinks and watch old home home movies, um, and he accidentally like exposes the treasure hoard. It's just like a room. It's like an Olympic-sized swimming pool's worth of gold and like treasure. <laughs> they would never know. It's Scrooge McDuck. I, that's not how one should manage their finances. I know. I mean, they very obviously don't care, though, because they donate no. art to a charity auction and then get into a bidding war amongst themselves <laughs> to buy it back. I love that scene. Um, We have to talk about the sexual tension between Gomez and Morticia. It's amazing. It is my ideal relationship. Oh, yeah. Total relationship goals. Even as a kid. Yes. Yes. Even as a kid, I was like, Wow, they love each other so much. Like, you can just tell. I love how animalistically attracted to Morticia Gomez is. Every time she says something in French, he is just all over her. And he doesn't care who is around and where they are. He will just go for it. 
And it's so cute. He's obsessed with her. She's into him too, but she's a little cooler than he is. He's very like hot-blooded about the whole thing. And she plays it a a little cool. But I love how attentive he is to her. I think that when we first get their in-person scene together, he's closing the shades for her because it's morning. Yeah. The sun's out. She's describing how he was in bed the night before, which like so kind of spicy for a children's movie. And then she's like, you scared me. Do Do it it again. again. I love it. Oh, my God. Me too. Everything that they bond over is over something spooky in nature or otherwise terrible. When we hear about Gordon slash Fester showing up in the Bermuda Triangle, they start reminiscing about their honeymoon in the Bermuda Triangle. And again, they're all over each other. They're such a good couple. And like... I mean, Raul, Julia, and Angelica Houston, like, incredible. Like, just their characterization is so good. They have such good chemistry. Like, even if they hadn't written it well, their chemistry was good. I love their gothic bedroom. The way the light always hits Morticia's face the same way. It's very noir. Like, she always has this, like, bar of light going across her face And her look is so beautiful, but this is another one of the production issues that they had was they wanted her to have this very, like, cat eye appearance. And so they did this thing where under her wig – so she's wearing a wig in this movie. Mm -hmm. And under her wig, they, like, attached, like, tape and elastics that, like, had, like, elastic that went around the back of her scalp under her wig. It was really fragile. And so if she, like, emoted too much or, like, moved her head too quickly, it would snap. Oh, no. And then they would have to stop production, (laughs) fix it, restart again. And so she had to learn how to, like, move her, like, body without moving her neck. So she's very, like, stiff in in some ways, but it's because she's trying to protect (laughs) the the elastics that, that are keeping her face in that position. And she's got a really funny quote about how the actress who played Morticia Adams in the 60s also similarly had a lot of makeup effects um, that were also very uncomfortable because Angelica suffered from, like, she'd get headaches and, like, migraines from, like, having to wear this stuff all day. And she said, oh, yeah, the actress who played the original Morticia Adams, um, she would get through production by like smoking an endless stream of joints in her trailer <laughs> oh in between <laughs> in between takes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I think it plays well into the character because her behaving more stiffly and being very subtle and you emoting with like her eyes more, it kind of adds to the ghoulishness. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mystique. Yes. Or, you know, like bodies get stiff when they die, right? Like it, it kind of touches on that a little bit too. So I, kudos to her. I do think it worked in her favor, I will say. I also like how once they bring in Fester, I mean, they've got this seance that <laughs> they're trying to contact Fester. <laughs> and then, of course, like amazingly, he shows up at their door of right course. after. Of Yeah. So we should talk about this because there is the storyline 
at the end of the movie where we find out that Fester is actually Fester. He's just had amnesia. So I thought that this sequence, the seance, you know, where they're trying to just locate where he is and they learn that he's nearby, I think it sort of primes us for that amnesia story. It actually is Fester. It actually is Fester. And the director had originally had the ending written that Gordon was not Fester, that he was actually an imposter. And then he asked all of the crew what they thought about that ending. And our little Christina Ricci, our Wednesday Adams, was like, I don't like it. And here's all the reasons why. <laughs> and um, so basically tested it out and decided to commit to, oh, he actually did have amnesia and he actually was Fester. I mean, when I rewatched it prepping for this episode, I was a little like, Okay, that's convenient. I felt like it, because they decided to switch in the middle, it doesn't feel like a strong one way or the other answer for me. Even though we know it's Fester, the clues leading up to it are half-baked, I think. I agree. I think that there was part of me that liked the idea of him not being Fester, but just another fucking weirdo in the world who's like these people just who's needed like a family i i just need a family and like being kind of adopted into this family so i liked that angle on it but i think that you know for how kooky these guys are like the fact that he did actually get caught in the bermuda triangle <laughs> and was found in some tuna nets <laughs> just like how bizarre their backstory is for him it is still funny yeah i don't know which option i would have liked better I think it, you're right. I think it would have been cute to have Fester just be like, hey, I like these guys. I want to join the family. And they're like, hey, we we think you'll fit in. And, yeah, and that and we're could just have been. going to call you Fester. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. But I, I also do like the fact that it ends up being Fester. So I'm not sure which way I wish they had taken it. I just sort of wish the clues had been better. Yeah, I think it ends up working and it all kind of comes together at the end. Um, it does make it so that the seance is real. And mm -hmm. I think that there's like, as the movie goes, just so many supernatural things. And so having like the seance at the beginning actually be real is nice. We get that gag back about the family just being cool with weird shit. Fester is just so confused because he's trying to kill these people and they don't seem to care. They catch him in the act multiple times. Yeah, they're like, oh, Fester. They're very accepting of that. I think the sequence is like kind of stress-inducing where they are trying to introduce, reintroduce Fester into the family and he is not a good liar. He does not know how to come up with things. He just seems woefully unprepared <laughs> to be able to talk to these people about anything. Um, especially when he and Gomez are like trying to relate about their childhood and Gomez is trying to apologize for their falling out and everything. He can't keep up with what Gomez wants to reminisce about. And I was like, why didn't they think this through? This family is insane. Like you can't hide it with normal jib jab. This sort of happens in there will be blood. 
uh, where Daniel Plainview meets his long lost brother, quote unquote. And he can keep that up there. I mean, it's it's a lot of normal stuff to talk about. But with this family, like, this guy ends up in the fucking Bermuda Triangle. Like, what? How do you come up with this stuff? Like, there's no way to fake it through this. No. I mean, they are watching these old home videos of these boys at camp. And even as little boys, they're, like, sneaking dynamite to, like, blow up the other campers in their boat. And they were in cages in one of the photos, right? (laughs) They were. (laughs) I feel like Gomez is really trying to lead him into confirming. And I was like, you could be doing any other responses than the responses that you're doing right now, and it would be better. Because he's trying to apologize for being jealous of his relationship with Flora and Fauna. (laughs) And oh my gosh. I mean, he kind of like tries to play it off as like, oh, water under the bridge. But I'm like, he's giving you so much here to work with. And you're just like, like dropping the ball. You do not know how to carry this conversation. They walk through the graveyard together and he's like talking through how everybody died. I thought that was so funny. Just like explaining the deaths of everybody around them. Fester knows none of this family history. He's kind of hung out to dry in this scene but I do love the way that the story sort of gets around this problem this problem of fester not being fester I think it's really clever the way that they handle it yeah his mom is like playing the psychiatrist and she does this kind of like reversal on the family where she's like the fact that they don't recognize him or something is like even more of a reason why he is fester. It turns that joke on its head of like, hey, everything that's happening is weird. So you so you like that. You think it's fine when fester comes at you with a knife. Like you think it's fine that your children are out in the rain playing with antennas. So him having these weird memory issues or just being generally strange to you people is actually what you want. I like how they are able to play it off, but I also appreciated that like Morticia was like kind of suspicious and she's very protective of Gomez. Like she wants to like make sure that Gomez is going to make it out of this okay. And so she's also testing him too leading up to this. But shortly after this visit with the doctor, Fester does start fitting in better, which I enjoyed and I thought maybe was another leading clue that he is actually who they think he is. I love watching him play with the kids. I know. I was just going to say him with the kids is so cute, like helping them with their like sword play to get ready yes, for this actual swords <laughs> what ends up being like an actually insane school play oh my god I love this school play bit it's so good I legitimately got sad when his mother told him that he can't go to the play I was proud of him yes yeah. I was so happy that he goes <laughs> Yes, the school play is wild. So we see these other little kids. They're dressed as like trees or whatever, (laughs) doing their little song. And then we've got Wednesday and Pugsley come out and they're sword fighting. And Fester has helped them rig up like the fake blood so that when they like cut their arms (laughs) off or whatever, I was like, oh, it's like the splash zone at SeaWorld. Oh my God, yes. an excessive amount of fake blood. 
parents in the audience are just covered with blood. It's so funny. Okay, like who gave these two kids permission to do their own school play? You'd think that they would have learned by now. I think that that scene was so funny too, where Wednesday's teacher is like, the other little girls are like looking up to Hillary Clinton and like these other people. And then Morticia's like, have you talked to their parents? Are they worried? And she's like, her hero is an aunt that was burned at stake. I love getting to see the Adams family dealing with normal people. It's very funny. I just like eat it up. And this whole movie, I'm like, yes, give me more. Yeah. Eventually, we find out that Fester is actually, he's the older brother. So he inherits the estate that the Adams family lives in. So the Adams family kind of get booted from their house and have to deal with real people again. I was so mad about this. I was yes. like, this guy's been gone. For 25 years, they have lived in this house and had two children in this house. Aren't there like basic tenancy laws that would like prevent them from getting just booted from their own estate? I am pretty sure that's a law. I'm not a lawyer. I do know an intellectual property lawyer. I could ask him. But (laughs) there have to be rules that would protect you from being booted out of your own house. You can't even evict someone from an apartment without 30 days notice. And they don't own shit. I was like, this is corruption. Just because this judge doesn't like the fact that Gomez hits golf balls into his house all the time. It's the same judge too. Yeah, it's perfect. So they just like rule against them. And then they move into like this motel. And Morticia, who is a stay-at-home mom and wife, decides to become a school teacher. I took it as an assistant in a classroom. Morticia as a teacher would be outrageous, but she's telling this all-too-real story about Hansel and Gretel to these toddlers or kindergartners, whatever they are, and they all start crying, and it's fucking hilarious. Uh, She's talking to someone about her concern about Gomez, and the person's like, oh, is he a loafer, a dreamer, like, and Morticia's like, usually, but now he's just despondent. I also enjoy Pugsley and Wednesday setting up their lemonade stand that induces, I don't know, poison or fire. Yeah, they've got arsenic. Depending on your choice. And the Girl Scout comes up to them with real Girl Scout regalia on and actual Girl Scout cookies with her wants to know if there's real lemons in the lemonade stand and we get that classic response are there real Girl Scouts in those cookies oh my gosh I love Wednesday I feel like there are so many scenes from this movie that have been turned into like memes or gifs that like I've seen over time and I feel like most of them are Wednesday she is the star star of the show I think she's so good her and Morticia are handling my favorites Eventually, Morticia goes to find Fester again because she wants to talk some sense into him. I think she knows that he belongs with their family and not with this crazy German doctor slash mother person. But she gets kidnapped and put on a stretching rack. So, of course, we get some nice BDSM enjoyment by her. Yeah. (laughs) And it sets Gomez off again. What are they thinking? Of course she would be into this. I think it's funny that they spend so much time in this movie trying to hide who the doctor is. 
And then at the end, eventually, she just pulls a gun out on them. They just kind of like, at the end of this movie, they're kind of like, okay, we're just done with this now. Like, she's just going to pull a gun. She's just going to try and get this money. We've seen like some supernatural things, of course. Thing is just like a disembodied hand. But when they pull out this book that opens up a hurricane into the house I was like I was not expecting that no that's kind of one of the things about this movie that I love is that there are a million options because who knows what's going on in this crazy house you could write yourself out of any corner I think because of the setting yeah I think that they could have gone very dark and had her accidentally stumble into a booby trap that like guillotined her like you know like and that would have also fit there's so many things that could have like caused harm to her so her getting like blown out the window and and into the family graveyard seemed (laughs) appropriate yeah we lose both of our antagonists in the graveyard and I think it's really cute how Margaret who was the lawyer's wife ends up with cousin it We had met Cousin It earlier in the movie when they had a mini Adam's Family reunion at the house to celebrate, you know, Fester being back. And we get, like, this great cast of characters of all of the Adam's Family. We meet Flora and Fauna in person and realize that they're conjoined twins. And they're also insane. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) When they uh, go back home, they get taken away in a conjoined straitjacket. There were some characters where I was like, oh, this must be a reference to, like, the TV show. Maybe, yeah. I I caught a hunchback. And otherwise, everyone just sort of looked generically gothic from far away. Yeah, I think so. I think that there weren't a lot of, like, lurch-type characters. Fester and Gomez do a mamushka dance. And here's another clue that Fester is Fester. He knows the dance and he knows the song. (laughs) Yep. It all, like, kind of comes back to him, so... That was like a good little bonding moment for for Gomez and Fester. Tully and and his wife, Margaret, meets it. And then later at the end of the movie, they're like in their Halloween costumes. They're so cute. (laughs) She's a little fairy and he's a cowboy. And Gomez is like, oh, I I hardly recognized you. (laughs) Be impossible not to recognize. Yeah. We end on a cliffhanger. Morticia is pregnant. And she's knitting a onesie for a three-legged baby. It made me want to, like, immediately put on the sequel. In fact, I might watch it today because I just enjoyed it so much. You guys already know. But I'm going to ask because we always ask, would you recommend this movie? Oh, yes. I would recommend this movie to anybody uh, who likes comedy and anybody with kids who like maybe horror, maybe comedy. The only thing about this movie that I think puts it in the horror genre is just the idea that at any point, it seems like any of these characters should die, but they don't. Nobody really dies except for the bad guys at the end, and there's zero blood. They just fly through the air into a coffin. I think this movie would be good for the whole family. I agree. I love this movie. Highly recommend it. It holds up. It's just a fun, a little jaunt of a movie. It, It's great for the whole family. There's some dark jokes and some kind of like amorous jokes between Gomez and Morticia. So if you're like feeling particularly prudish, you might want to wait until your kid's like a little bit deeper into elementary school. <laughs> but I, I don't think that there's anything that would scare them or anything that is particularly like sticking out as being age appropriate for kids. 
Well, now we get to talk about our crafts, which I'm really excited for. I can't wait to see what you did. Our crafts for this episode were very open-ended. It just needed to be themed black and white. I'm going to go first. I went with polymer clay necklaces. I thought it would be fun to make some jewelry. And I've never done it before. So wow. uh, my first set of necklaces, I made feathers. Those are cool. And my second set of necklaces, I made like an ombre set of discs that go from black to white. That's really cool. Those look great. It was really easy, Kate. I bought one little block of black and one little block of white. And just to get the the ombre effect, just mixed, you know, a certain amount of black with white until I got a good gradient. And then I had those grays to work with for the feathers. The feathers were also really easy. You just roll it out flat. You just cut a feather out. I mean, I didn't use a stencil or anything. There's instructions online and, and pictures to use as a reference. But honestly, I just traced a feather, cut it out, and let it bake in the oven. And, of course, I did make doubles of the gradient so that I could give you one. Yes. <laughs> so that way it can be a true friendship craft. Oh, I love why not? It. We haven't Because why not? We haven't done that in a while. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We have not done that in a while. Oh, I love the way that they turned out. Those are really cool. I did a craft that was definitely oriented for younger children, and I did potato stamps. <gasps> potato stamps. I don't know if you ever did potato stamps when you were a kid, yes. but I, we did them when I was in elementary school, and I happened to have some some lino cutter supplies, but very easy to use with like a spoon or a knife or just anything you've got around your house. So I did little cloud stamps to test so my proof cute. that it would actually work. And then I did some ghosts <laughs> that, that had some middling effects um, just using some calligraphy ink. But it was super easy, incredibly cheap. Yes. I think a very good craft for kind of all ages. Because I think if your kid has the dexterity to like hold a spoon, like you could just trace a heart or a circle or something for them and kind of let them go for it. Or you cut it out for them and then let them do the stamping themselves. That seems like a fun way to make your own custom wrapping paper or mm -hmm. decorations for a school project or something. I love it. And yeah, you're right. It is so easy and cheap. When I went and bought my supplies, I walked across the street to the grocery store and I bought a single potato. And they were like, is that it? And I was like, yes, just the potato. Thank you. Nice 50 cent craft. It was fun. And it scales up as your kids get older because you can make more complex stamps. Oh, yeah. The part that I thought was fun was when I was in elementary school, I did potato stamps. When I was in middle school, I took an art class where we used styrofoam. And so we did like a styrofoam stamp. And then when I was in high school, we actually did lino cuts. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I, I had had some previous experience. And so there are definitely ways to scale this up if your kids are older. Well, I loved both of our crafts and I love this movie. It was such a great way to tie up the rest of this season and cannot wait to catch you guys next week for our finale where we will, of course, talk more crafts. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. 
follow us on Instagram at notquitedeadpodcast and on Twitter at nqd underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching. <laughs>